but we bet you'll like them. I'm back in the saddle again. Checking in from the right side of Acadiana, seeking truth. I want the truth! Yes! Justice. Somebody ought to belt you in the mouth. Yes! And a whole lot of freedom to have fun. Winning, winning, winning. Yes! Oh, behave. This is the Rush Report. Welcome back to the Ross Report. So every once in a while, we, and especially with the big news coming out about our utility system, we'd like to interview the director, Lafayette Utility System Director, Jeff Stewart. He's a native of Acadiana, bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from LSU, uh, began his career at LUS as an electrical engineer, uh, appointed chief electrical engineer. He's been with LUS ever since. He is uh, deeply committed to LUS, and uh, you also serve, uh, Jeff, on the Energy and Power Authority, right, Board of Directors? That's correct. Yes, that's correct. It's the Board of Directors of uh, Louisiana Energy and Power Authority, which is right now comprised of 19 municipal utilities in the state of Louisiana. Wow. Well, welcome back to the Ross Report. We always like to talk to you and get an update, especially with the exciting news. I have to tell you, I was really excited about this because I know you have been talking about this for a while, but now it needs to be done, the Bronan Redevelopment Project. First of all, let's give people a little bit of background on what's going on in Boyce, about how many generating uh, stations, how many plants we have here, and uh, and then we'll get into the need of this this particular project. Sure, sure. So uh, Lafayette, since the, its commercial operation in 1982, has owned the Rotomaker Power Station Number 2, 50%. And it's operated by Clico, who owns 30%, and LIPA, the board I do serve on, owns the remaining 20%. And that it went into effect, went into operation in November of 1982, and it burns uh, Powder River Basin coal, uh, shipped from the state of Wyoming down to Louisiana and burned. And it provides 246 megawatts of electricity to the city of Lafayette. It has since its inception. It's, it's, it's been a huge, valuable asset for the city of Lafayette since its, since its first day. It's paid for itself a number of times over. Mm-hmm. And it's really been able to support our operation, both electric, you know, uh, services, but also the the money that we were able to receive from sales over the years have have gone right back into the city, uh, right back into LUS, and it's been a huge benefit for us. We also, in, in around 2004, 2005 time period, we constructed um, four generators in Lafayette at two different locations. The TJ Labe generating facility, which is located just north of I-10 on Renault, is uh, 100 megawatts total capacity between the two generators. And south of um, Lafayette, off of Commission Boulevard, Hargis Bear generating facility. Again, two generators there. Uh, they all burn natural gas, another 100 megawatts. So between the Rotomaker Power Station and the four generators in Lafayette, we have a, just under 450 megawatts of capacity. The Bonan site, which which was retired in 2017, uh, was built in the 60s, built in the 70s. Over time, they added there were three total units there. We quit operating those units in 2013, and we ultimately retired them. But uh, you know, rewind a little bit. Uh, 2018, 
you know, we, we looked at our system, we looked at the forecast, and we said, you know, over the next 15 or 20 years, what's Lafayette's electric demand and what's electric requirements going to be? And then how do we serve them? You know, because there were a lot of changes at the time, including some environmental rules and regulations that were forthcoming. So we, we took about a year and a half. We, we started the process at the end of 2018. We concluded it in the summer of 2020 to evaluate our electric future and then how we are going to provide electricity going forward for that increased demand or changing demand. And what we determined is uh, that due to some you know, electric, you know, I guess, environmental rules on the electric system, specifically targeted to coal and, and Rotomaker Station, which we own half the output, that it was better for us to shut down the coal burning operation of that plant and look for something else to replace it. Mm-hmm. And um, the compliance cost uh, to 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 I guess comply with some of those rules that were forthcoming was too much. It just didn't make financial sense for us to continue to invest in a coal unit that will will really always be the target of of any environmental rules and regulations because it does burn and it does emit certain certain. Uh, certain things like, mm-hmm. you know, sulfur dioxide, nitrogen yeah. oxide, mercury, some things like that that they're really targeting. And we haven't even talked about carbon yet. Carbon hasn't been formalized, but it, it is a target of a lot of electric generating facilities and a lot of industrial facilities. And so since 2020, we've been evaluating the Bonan site. We have the acreage, you know, to, to, to build something. We have natural gas supply. Mm-hmm. We have the electric interconnection. And so we started looking at all the components it may it takes, you know, to, to make up a new generating facility, what the demolition cost of what's there today. And we've we've come up with a plan. We've come up with an idea to construct a, a gas-fired combustion turbine at the Bonan site. We would demolish what's there today mm-hmm. down to grade and build something in its place. Um, we, we started this process, like you said, many years ago. Yeah, I remember. We, <laughs> we had a couple we, of meetings out at the South Regional Library, as I recall, we did. with with your we, we did. Uh, with Burns that's and right. Burns and McDowell, McDonald, some, McDonald. Yes, yeah, that's correct. That's, right. that's our engineer of record, right. and they have they're independently, you know, contracted. They have to review our operation to make sure we're making good, sound decisions for the long term. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it always interested me because retrofitting. The Rotomaker just didn't make sense, did it? Because I can remember even as far back as when Terry Huval was director of utilities, we talked about that. And it, it apparently it just didn't make sense because of the way the EPA and the regulations were coming down and the money that would have to be spent to retrofit that plant in Boyce just didn't make sense. That's correct. And, and the way the EPA used to do it is they would say, here's the technology you need to make these changes. Well, you know, utilities started looking at that and saying, well, the technology isn't proven. Now yeah. EPA says, well, here are the goals you need to meet. Find a way to meet them. And that changes things. And, and it, it, it you know, allows us a little bit more freedom and flexibility, but it also, you know, sometimes forces us to make, you know, should we stay online or should we go offline decisions as well. So our goal there is to get out of uh, Roadmaker, shut it down at the end of 2027, because the compliance deadline is 2028. Oh boy! And so we would yeah. we would burn coal at the end of 27, <clears throat> burn our pile down to to zero, and then go through the compliance process. But at the same time, in between now and then, we have to find a replacement for Rotomaker. So you have to you, you have to go through a process for deconstructing and then permitting your your new facility. Correct? I mean, this is it's kind of a lot of a lot of moving parts, as I understand it. 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 
it is absolutely it's it's demolition so there's a lot there's a lot involved with demolition but we have to treat the new construction even though it's on a site that has always generated mm-hmm. electricity at least since the 60s we have to treat it like a brand new generator going on the system so there are every permit has to be you know reapplied for all of every permit air and wastewater um, the the site itself uh, even though we we generate electricity up until 2013 it's been 11 years and so we have to apply to MISO to put a generator at that location because we can't negatively impact surrounding transmission systems. We have to make sure that that everything is capable of receiving power. That's just one of the requirements in MISO. We have to make sure it's deliverable to the grid. Mm -hmm. And so we we entered that process in September of 22, and we're still going through those study processes to determine what impact do we have on the transmission system. All All those costs, all that engineering, all that permitting, is included in our overall budget estimate. Well, I, I, you know, I'm a big fan of our utility system. I I think it's pretty amazing. Uh, the reliability uh, that we see uh, that maybe some other systems don't have. And especially, I mean, people don't think about, uh, because electricity, our electric generation has been not as much as it used to, but ha- does help to underwrite the wastewater and the water uh, supply, uh, you know, uh, supplies. To, to the community. Uh, it doesn't as much, I know you've, uh, you kind of brought the, the prices up to meet what the, what the actual cost of generating those things is, but still, the electric is, that's the, that's the cash cow, really, if you want to talk about it that way. I mean, the electricity, it, it, you know, you, you give a, what, you return, what, 23 million back to the a community? Yeah, it was. I think it was twenty five million this year is what we calculated back wow. to the city general fund. That's correct. Wow. I mean, and that's what people have to understand. This is not just our utility system. It is more than that. It is a major funder of operations for our for the city of Lafayette. I want to get into some of the um, the the, the uh, timing. You know how it, how this is going to work, and about the, the cost effective nature of it, and. Let, you know, people have questions about natural gas, et cetera, but we want to talk about that. So we've got Jeff Stewart. He is the director of Lafayette Utility System answering your questions. There are going to be some public meetings. You can go to those meetings, but we want to get a lot of information out to the folks right now. Jeffrey, we'll be right back. Thank you so much. Thank we'll you. Take care. Okay. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes, and we'll get all the information to you because this is an important project. We all need to understand it. Okay. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. We're talking to Jeff Stewart. He's the director of utilities, Lafayette Utilities System, talking about the project for the uh, redevelopment of the Bonin power plant. Um, Jeff, you mentioned MISO. Now, what a lot of people don't know, what Midcontinent Independent System Operator, we're a part of that, and we're on that transmission grid, right? That's correct. Okay, now, this could have an effect. Uh, we, we might be able to... What supply power to that grid if we have an excess of power, et cetera? So, so the way MISO, um, I guess, operates, it's, it's really a couple of functions. First of all, reliability coordinator, they have to make sure lights stay on. They have to make sure that, that power can flow to where it needs to flow without any interruption. The second part of, of their operation is to, to independently operate a market 
it's it's an energy market, capacity market where you know each member utility, Lafayette included, has to provide sufficient resources, sufficient generation to meet their demand. And you know, part of part of what you know the generation does is when there are needs. First of all, in the market, they they the goal is to have the lowest cost generation online. Uh-huh. That means everybody's prices will be low. Of course, as you run into emergencies, as things happen, you know, generation facilities trip offline. They're mechanical. Uh, transmission lines will trip due to a number of reasons, weather, you know, vehicles, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we have to have resources to, to make up those differences. Uh, and so there will be opportunities where our generation will, will be online and support the system. We, I, I remember very vividly over the last few years, you know, going in our energy control room, looking at our, our state of our electric system immediately after the hurricane winds subside, and we're generating electricity in Lafayette with our with our TJ Lobby and Hargis Abair units, and we're actually exporting power. We're actually, you know, helping support the transmission system mm-hmm. in general. It's also providing electricity to to our customers here in Lafayette. So, you know, years ago when Rotomaker was built, it was built in the in the ideal location, away from you know cities. Out in the middle of, of the woods, you know, they built a lake around it for all the all of the water. It was in a really good location. Now in MISO, because of the the distance between generation and, and cities, you have a lot of risk on the transmission system. I yeah. will say this. The Louisiana transmission grid is in very good shape. It is in excellent shape. It can withstand a lot. But we saw during the hurricanes over the last few years that major electric transmission structures fell to the ground under the pressure of that wind, under under the, the strength of that wind. What are one of the benefits here of, of moving the generator, basically what Rotomaker is today in central Louisiana, to building a generator here in Lafayette, it takes away that risk of having to rely on the transmission system. And so whenever we do absolutely need the electricity, we, we can and will generate it here in Lafayette to provide all the basic electric needs to, to provide electricity to our water plants and sewer plants. And, and at that point, you know, my goal here, and in a lot of ways, in addition to being low-cost and reliable, I would love to see Lafayette become an, an emergency response hub where if our utility system is operational, that means our hospitals are online. That right. means our police stations and fire stations are online. Grocery stores, gas stations, hotels, our water plants are online and we can provide bulk water to neighboring, you know, cities. That's not the primary focus and, and the goal of this uh, project, but there are going to be benefits that are going to last for a long, long time. Well, I, I don't see any downside to it. Now, I know that there are going to be some people who question, um, you know, the cost effectiveness of it and what it's going to cost. Because, But I think you all have made a point that no matter what, uh, electric costs are going up either way. That they are, and, and it is a cost, and so our, our rate proposal, I mean, the, the overall project is, is a big number. You know, just on paper, we're proposing a $400 million project. You know, we, we're not going to borrow all $400 million at one time. We, we would borrow about half of it uh, this year, 2024, and the, the remaining half in two years from now, in 2026, because we don't need all the cash right now. But we do need to start procuring material, mm-hmm. procuring contracts, you know, bidding all this stuff out, evaluating those bids. And that takes money it takes a to, lot of to get time, those things too. started. Oh, man, I tell you and, what. <laughs> You have to make yeah. sure you follow certain bid processes, too. I mean, it's yes. a pretty strict uh, process for getting these bids out. 
It is, and, and the specs uh, you know, on all the, all the different bids are going to be pretty complicated, so we have to take our time to do it. But to get in line, to get a schedule for a generator, a turbine, a, a transformer, you know, you're looking at two to three years lead time on a lot of this equipment now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so we need to get in, make sure that we do it the right way, do it very methodically. But, but breaking it up over the uh, course of a few years like this will allow us to implement a rate increase it's three and a half percent of the base rate, which is a non-fuel part of the electric um, bill. And and right now, fuel is about fifty percent of the overall bill, and the non-fuel is the other fifty. So it's three and a half percent of about half the bill. Well, when you, we, you over three years, you have three and a half percent November of twenty twenty-five, then another three and a half November twenty twenty-six, and then another three and a half November twenty twenty-seven. The impact of the average residential bill, which is about twelve hundred kWh a, a month, is total eight dollars increase per month. And what that eight dollars is going to do is going to allow us to demolish what's here now mm-hmm. and build a new state-of-the-art, high efficiency. Of gas-fired generator unit that's going to benefit Lafayette and even parts around. What we're also doing is strategizing around our existing debt. When we built the TJ Lobby and Hargis Bear plants, uh, we went out and got funding in 2004. That debt is being paid off in 2029. Wow. And so we're strategizing around how we're going to issue this debt in a rate increase so that we're not asking the 3.5% over three years isn't the full amount of what we need. But I know in 2029, I have debt that's going to be paid off, and I'm only asking for that difference of what, we, what our already debt service is, which is around 14 to 15 to $16 million a year. Mm-hmm. This rate increase will cover the difference between that amount and what the new debt is going to be by issuing this up to $400 million. And so my, my pledge to the city council and our customers and the administration is I only want to borrow exactly what I need to cover this project, and I'm only going to charge a rate that covers exactly the cost for this project to be funded. And so we strategize. It's taken us, you know, a, a long time to evaluate these things and 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 to understand how how all this is going to set up. But our rate proposal is modest. It's it's the impact of the average customer is going to be eight dollars a month at the end of the third phase, but the benefits are going to be great, great benefits to the city of Lafayette. So eventually, when when the other ones are paid <laughs> off in twenty twenty nine, and you're saying that the well, the the um, construction will be paid by this rate hike, correct? That's correct. Yes, the the the, the rate increase we're proposing will cover all of it because okay. I know I have debt that's that's being paid off in 2029. Mm-hmm. I don't have to impose or request a rate increase that covers $400 million in debt. I already have a debt service payment today, so we're, strat- we're, we're rolling our new debt mm-hmm. into that curve so that we're not asking for, you know, an additional $25 million in revenue. I'm only asking for a percentage of that mm-hmm. because I know that I have a good bit of debt service that's going to be rolled off the books. And so I'm just going to smooth into that a little bit. I have to raise rates. I mean, $400 million No, you uh, can't. Project <laughs> that is, doesn't come out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. But but we're also mindful of what our existing debt and how it's going to be retired. So we're not asking for more than we're actually going to need. Yeah. So, so now we're talking environmentally friendly and all that. People um, near the power plants, there's a lot of questions about what about natural mm-hmm. gas, et cetera. Uh, is it safe? Is are there going to be other? Is it going to be polluting? Um, what do you? How do you answer those folks? 
you know, natural gas, first of all, everything that we do is going to be permitted. We are going to follow every environmental rule and law. We are going to comply with it. We'll be audited on it multiple times over, uh, just like we are today with everything we do. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud of our em- environmental compliance record across our system with the water and wastewater as well as electric generation. But everything we do is going to be permitted. We're going to guarantee that we follow all permits and not violate anything. As far as what we're going to be burning, natural gas is what we're going to be uh, burning. There are emissions, but it's going to be no different than what it was before, uh, no different than what the TJ Labe and Hargis Bear units are doing today. Um, the difference between coal and natural gas, the biggest difference outside of some sulfur and some other things, is carbon. The carbon dioxide emissions from, from a, a coal-fired unit are, are much much greater, exponentially greater than from a natural gas unit. And so we're going we're gonna to make sure that we follow every permit. We do this thing the right way. We are aware of the neighbors around us. We've engaged with them. We, we've sent letters. We're inviting them to meetings. I've pledged to hold neighborhood meetings you know, with them during the construction, after the construction, to make sure that, that we are following all the rules and we're not negatively impacting their day-to-day lives. So the, it's um, been generating out there. Well, it hasn't been since 2013, right? It, that's correct. It, from like 1965 until 2013, we were generating mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. So it's not something totally out of the ordinary. I mean, it has been there before. So um, I, I'm sure that the, and this is on Walker Road, correct? That's correct. Walker Road. Okay. What about the plant on Pinhook at University? Yes, that's the old Rotomaker plant. So uh, if, if my history served me correctly, I believe the, the Rotomaker on, on Pinhook and the Rotomaker that we own, the coal plant in Central Louisiana, I think they were brothers. <laughs> About the same time. But, but yeah. uh, Curtis Rotomaker was, I think, a trustee of public property or yes. a trustee of trustee the of electric utilities. system back you know, decades ago. That, that has not generated since 1994. Mm-hmm. It's retired in place. And we're actually evaluating a few options to maybe repurpose it and reuse it right now. Yeah. It's just a few more steps because it was built in a different era. We have to be very mindful of, of environmental issues that may be there, like asbestos or lead paint. Right. But certainly everything we do, we're not making it worse. We've actually done quite a bit of cleanup on the site, and uh, we are we are meeting industrial standards. But uh, we are looking at it. I'd like to repurpose it for utility function one day, um, but certainly I want to get through this you know, bone-in project first. But it was retired in place, has not operated since 1994, but we do have an active substation next door to it mm-hmm. um, that, that, that you can probably see some of the equipment coming out uh, from behind the fence that, that it still serves you know thousands of customers. So we have to be careful about that site as well. Well, we have to take a break for the news. Can you hang for one more segment? I know you're going to be busy tonight, but I just wanted to get into the source of natural gas, where you're going to get that from, and talk about the meetings so that people know where to go. Yeah. Tonight and Wednesday night. We're talking to Jeff Stewart, Director of Utilities LUS, and we'll be right back on the Ross Report. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. We're wrapping up our discussion with Jeff Stewart, Director of Utilities. Big doings coming with the redevelopment, uh, re repurposing of the uh, Bonan uh, uh, plant out there on Walker Road, the Doc Bonan Generation Station. Um, Jeff, where uh, where is the natural gas going to come from? 
So we are interconnected with a number of uh, interstate and intrastate pipelines. Uh, we have two that serve the facility today. LUS actually owns one of those. It created competition, you know, 25, 30, for 30 years ago when it was constructed. But uh, we have access to a number of suppliers. So it doesn't necessarily come from one. We get We get quotes and bids and pricing. But we have ample supply. Of course, the Henry Hub. Uh, index mm-hmm. is is located yeah. based on a, a interconnection facility out of ERAF. We're not that far from that location, so we really have access to whatever the market is and what it can provide. So we're not we're not sole sourcing. We're we're not we're not locked into one provider. So we have uh, just about the entire market that we can deal with. So it it, it allows us a, a competitive and cheap fuel source to whatever we decide to build here. Man, I tell you what, if we could get the Biden administration out, out of the equation, we, we might be in better shape because we're kind of sitting on an ocean of natural gas, aren't we, in this area? It is. I mean, Louisiana, Texas, you know, it's just there, there's a lot of natural gas onshore, offshore. I mean, it, it, they're just, you know, uh, it, it, we're lucky. I, mean, I think that's one of the reasons why electric rates are really low in the state of Louisiana is because of the natural gas supply, the fact that it is so cheap and there's no major transmission cost because the source is so close. I know you hear some, you know, really horror stories in the Northeast, especially. So we are very fortunate here. Okay, tell us about the meetings. What can people expect at these meetings? There's one this evening. Right at the main one this library. Evening. Yes, mm-hmm. right. One this evening. It's at downtown library off of Congress Street, six p.m. to seven thirty. Uh, it's free flowing, so if somebody can't make it for six, please please show up. You know, we we want to make sure everybody's questions are answered. I'm going to give a presentation. It, it's a presentation I plan on giving the city council next week. It talks a lot about the history, how we came to this decision, uh, what the costs are. Uh, what the rate impacts are going to look like, how we, you know, just, it's, it's going to be like an all-inclusive, what the project is, what the costs are, and how we're going to pay for it. We're also going to have a lot of our staff there to help answer individual questions. Um, so I'm going to do a presentation that we're going to kind of do like a, what I call an open house setting where we'll just have a free-flowing conversation. We'll have a lot of, you know, our staff there to help answer questions. People come up, ask whatever they need. We talk through it. So it's really to get information in front of our customers. Same thing on Wednesday night at the South Regional Library. It's 6 to 7.30. Again, same format, a presentation to begin the whole uh, event, and then just a free-flowing, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of a feedback session, Q&A, you name it. Uh, You know, one of the big things I believe in is LUS obviously belongs to the city of Lafayette. We were voted on by the people. You know, the elected officials are our governing authority. You know, we're we're created by Lafayette to serve Lafayette. And I want to make sure our customers are familiar with the project, understand it, ask questions, get answers to it, because it belongs to them. You know, and it's it's a big price tag. Understand that. So I want to make sure they're comfortable with what we're proposing and all the justifications around it. So, you know, we also have a website dedicated for those who can't make it tonight or Wednesday night. We have a website, a webpage dedicated, LUS.org. We have a bone-in redevelopment page. It has the same presentation I'm going to give, mm-hmm. some frequently asked questions, uh, information about tonight's meeting, information about Wednesday night's meeting. But but my goal here is to get the information in front of everybody that we can, answer questions, and just just you know make people you know hopefully see the the benefit behind of what we're doing and, and have them comfortable with that decision. Absolutely. Now they ha- you have it up on Eventbrite. You're asking people to uh, you know to register because. I mean, it will be limited seating, so... It, it is. Yeah, right. So so we're holding them in, inside the library uh, auditoriums, and there are limited seats. Uh, we ask people to, to register. It's free 
free to register, no charge there, but just to give us an idea of headcounts mm-hmm. so we can, you know, if we have to make adjustments before 6 o'clock tonight or 6 o'clock Wednesday, we can we can maybe move, you know, to a bigger bigger location or even hold another event, you know, yeah. to, to help, you know, to accommodate the, the number of people showing up. But well, I think it's, it's really... It's, I think it's, it's on really our website. It's free to register. It's very easy to navigate. I went to the website. It is very easy to navigate. It, it answers a lot of questions, and I think it's really great you're going to the people before you do the presentation to the city council. I think this is really... This, this must be a first, but I think it's a great idea because I think people need to understand how important this project is to a future uh, utility uh, generation, electrical generation. Um, there was one more thing that, oh, yes, the naming of the plant. Because, you know, you mentioned Curtis Rotemaker. He had a great deal to do with the development, uh, along with Mr. Hargis and, and uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Labe and a few of the others who were very early, early proponents. Um, there's another name that I'm forgetting, and he was so much a part of it as well. So you have the uh, P.J. Labe, you have the Hargis Bear. Uh, would you consider calling this the Bonan Rotomaker? Uh, we haven't, and the reason why we chose Bonan number four, first of all, it's at the same site as Bonan. We also call our substations next door to it Bonan, and just just for clarity, I mean, we're, we're simple-minded people here. Uh, we haven't, we haven't <laughs> I don't considered think so. changing it to Rotomaker. Um, I, we just it, because everything at the site is is, is named Bonan. Uh, let me no, say this. I'll I was just thinking a combination. But like all you of our um, interconnect requests, all of our project details have been called Bonan, Bonan. only. Yeah. Uh, Doc Bonan was a longtime superintendent, um, very well respected, mm-hmm. very well liked. Yes. And um, you know, if we're demolishing the three, um, we're just going to keep it as Bonan four. But we certainly don't want to to reduce the impact that many of my predecessors have had on, on Lafayette, not yeah. just the, the utility, but the city of Lafayette as well. You know, you mentioned Charlie Hargis, the first official director of LUS, yeah. T.J. Yeah. Labe, a very important uh, director in the 80s, Roy Hebert, a longtime superintendent. We've had, you know, Sylvan Richard, Don Sylvan Eastley, Richard, that's who, that's who I, was, I was talking about, Mr. Sylvan Richard. He was a, he was a visionary as well. You know, what people don't yeah. understand is Lafayette was a trustee form of government. That means three yeah. people ran the city of of Lafayette up until the 50s, I believe. That's right. Up until That's the right. 50s. And you had a trustee of finance and you had a trustee of the utilities and you had, I think, what, what was the equivalent of the mayor, but it wasn't called the mayor. I don't think it was a trustee of what, operations, maybe? I, I don't know. Public, public property or something. I forgot what. Yeah. It, they, they, were, they were different forms of it. And, you know, somebody else, we were able to rededicate a water plant this past year to Jim Love, who was a long time, very influential uh, employee of ours. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to recognize that history and, and yeah. certainly preserve it and, and recognize the impact they've had not just at the time but but for decades to come and everybody i've mentioned and, and everybody you've mentioned has just had a huge impact positive impact for lafayette yeah we've been we have been so blessed with our utility system really and truly people don't understand how it it contributes so much to our well-being and and to our our uh, strength as a community um with the you know the uh, the what the amount of of income that you generate for the city of Lafayette. It's a, it's a tremendous, tremendous asset for us. We appreciate your time today, Jeff. I know you've got a full plate. You have that meeting this <laughs> evening. Remind everybody, main library this evening from 6 to 7, or, yes, yeah, 6 to 7.30. 7 right, and that's at the main library. Then Wednesday evening yes. it's going to be at uh, South, uh, South Regional Library. So that's same, right. same 6 time, to 6 to same, 7.30. Same time, yes. All right, very good. Jeff, thanks so much for your time. Best wishes to you, and we appreciate your service to our community. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Carol. Anytime. You bet. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Right. Bye.
Yeah, just um, I'm proud of our utility system. I really am. Now, you know, we're doing this um, crawfish boil. You know, they're going to take it to the next level. They're calling it the ultimate crawfish boil giveaway. No kidding. News Talk 98.5. Talk of Acadiana. We want you to have this ultimate crawfish boil powered by... uh, who else? Our great friends at Prejeans. You can win a $250 gift certificate to the fruit stand in Rowbridge for all your crawfish cravings and everything you need to have the best boil on the block. Right? So if you are caller number four, listen carefully. Caller number four at 337-706-0113, 706-0113. You have a shot at winning the ultimate crawfish boil powered by Prejeans and the talk of Acadiana. Again, the number is 706-0113, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. Congratulations, Mark Frieden. You are now qualified to win that ultimate crawfish boil. Yum, yum. Mark Frieden, thanks for listening. We appreciate you. All right. Um, what could possibly, under the category of what could possibly go wrong, I, I'm going to get to that in a minute, and you're not going to believe. You're absolutely not going to believe what those pinhead globalists are up to now by the name of Bill Gates and George Soros. But we'll get to that in a minute because now we want to tell you about our good friends. Who are helping to sponsor the ultimate crawfish boil? Prejeans, but no, the partners. We're talking about Dino's. Uh, yeah, you know what the pizza of the month is. Boy, I got this Saturday for some friends. They loved it. The Jacques Boudreau. Seafood lovers, oh, supreme. Tender shrimp, tasty crawfish, succulent crab meat, spiced up, piled high on the traditional red sauce, or you can get, as we always do, I like to get the seasoned olive oil because it doesn't overpower the delicate seafood taste. It's on a delicious crisp crust. You cannot do, you just can't do any better. It's the Jacques Boudreau, the pizza of the month. Now, tomorrow at Dino's on Bertrand, it's the Bon Poulet, specially marinated fried chicken breast with melted mozzarella, Nani's strawberry hot, Lava, <laughs> mayo, coleslaw, and pickles on a warm brioche bun Ooh, served with crinkle-cut fries. And you know they give you a complimentary soft drink or iced tea when you dine in over there? Now, let's see what they're doing um, 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 on Kali Saloon. Tomorrow on Kali Saloon, it's the Meatball Po'boy Deluxe. <gasps> now, this sounds fantastic. Po'boy starts with Italian meatballs, zesty marinara sauce between a toasted jalapeno sourdough bun with melted mozzarella, Swiss, mayo, pepperoni, bell peppers, onions, mushrooms. <laughs> how do they get all that on that little bun? I don't know how they do it, but they do it, and it's always so good. That's why we say pizza like no other, pasta like no other, sandwiches like no other, everything like no other. There's just no other like it. Dino's, three fabulous locations with the Jacques Boudreau all this month. And, of course, Prejean's our partner in crime with the ultimate crawfish boil. Prejean's, I-49 North and Broussard. Now, you'll never guess what... (laughs) You'll never guess. You will never guess what those pinhead globalists are up to now. (laughs) Eric Utter writes a great article for American Thinker. He starts out, OMG, and that's an understatement. Listen to this. This is the report. 
This is a report that scientists will begin implementing a plan promoted by none other than Bill Gates and George Soros. Can these people just go away? I mean, I wish they'd go to Epstein Island and leave us alone. You know, go have fun on Epstein's Island and just leave us alone. But anyway, here's what they're up to now. They want to spew chalk dust and certain chemicals into the atmosphere to deflect sunlight away from the Earth's surface. What? I thought we need sunlight for things to grow. Blocking out the sun is literally a Dr. Evil plan. Uh, It It is. is. how do they think this is going to go? It's going to go well. Nobody knows. We didn't know what we don't know what the long term effects of the mRNA vaccine is either, huh? No, we don't know that yet. We've seen some terrible side effects. We've seen some terrible effects of the vaccine, and more and more adverse effects being reported. But this this is unbelievable. Man made white clouds in it, they, they would they, it's chalk dust and certain chemicals into the atmosphere to deflect sunlight away from the Earth's surface to a, to lower Earth's temperature and reverse global warming. <sighs> Front page is reporting scientists plan to begin pumping chemicals into the sky over the next few weeks and months from several countries around the globe. Not us. No, please tell me not us. Yes, us. Australia and Israel is promoted by Gates and Soros. This is insane. Supposedly, it would lower the planet's temperature enough to reverse global warming. Uh, well, what about the trees and the vegetables and all of us who require sunlight to be healthy and to grow and produce food? Primary source of critical vitamin D, an essential nutrient for human immunity. These people really are evil. They should just shut up and go away. This this supposedly is going to occur over the next few months. Now, here's the EPA beating down on everybody else, and they're going to let these yahoos do this? Is blocking sunlight, I mean, is that a good idea? And again, how do we know this? Nothing on this scale has ever been done before. I remember there was a competition years ago. My friend Judy was on the board of LIDA, <laughs> and somebody, uh, the Da Vinci Project, that's what they called it, and they were giving out $100,000 to see if you could find some way to deflect or uh, destroy or downgrade hurricanes or change the planet or, you know, change the uh, temperature or whatever. It was some crazy idea. They were giving out a $100,000 prize. And there were some folks here in Lafayette who were actually thinking about, you know, competing in it. I mean, there is no end of pinheaded ideas, right? I I cannot believe they're even thinking about doing this, really. This is on a cosmic scale. Forget about, I mean, it's bad enough the vaccine was not well thought out, not not researched. We have no idea what the long-term effects are. What do you, what do you think this is going to be? It's insane. Who authorized this? Who authorized this? What, just because they're billionaires and they they have these pinhead ideas and they go and they convince governments to do this? Or they go to Davos? And have their little meeting every year. Who can do that? Oh, they go to the, the UN. Look at the UN. Oh, yeah. Where do you think all this resettlement garbage came from? It came from the UN. And it's still part of their overall plan. So who authorized it? Well, surely they cannot simply unilaterally impose actions that have, that could have long-term effects. It, oh, did, did we, did, did we vote on this? Um, was that who was consulted? Did the farmers have a say? Did the elderly and infirm? Did people who think it's important to have vitamin C and vitamin D, excuse me, vitamin D? Is there a backup plan? 
if this sunlight nullification backfires, oh, wow, could we be thrown into a new ice age? And why is this not, why are we just finding out about this? Why is this not the biggest story around the globe? The elites are literally gambling with the health of this planet. It's like we're, we're their little toys, like Dr. Evil sitting at the table, uh, juggling uh, the earth as his toy, you know, flipping it from hand to hand. Let's see what we can do now. They are gambling with the health of our planet and the lives and livelihood of everyone on it. No input. Who in heaven's name is going to let them do this? Obviously, somebody approved it. The governments of the United States, Australia, and Israel? Gates? And Soros are promoting it? But where did it, I mean, where did this idea come from to block the sun? I'm telling you, Mother Nature is going to fight back. Mother Nature is going to, the only reason we are even human life on this planet is because some big bang happened and then we were formed this, this galaxy was formed and then maybe an asteroid hit Earth and, you know, caused some global warming here. And then we had the dinosaurs and then the dinosaurs died and the warming happened and we had a lot of water. And then you can't listen to me. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but but we life came because we the, the Ice Age went away. And after the Ice Age, we could have a warming that allowed carb life forms that are based in carbon to be formed. Now, these guys are going to want to reverse. I mean, what the heck? What the heck? So CBS aired the show originally, um, and they were talking about radical suggestions for fighting so-called climate change, which I debate that terminology. The climate is always changing. The climate is always changing. So, so they came up with, they said, uh, a CBS Saturday morning was pushing a plan backed by Bill Gates and Soros. And why were they pushing this? And they said the, the U.S. government is currently investigating stratospheric geoengineering. The U.S. government doesn't do anything real well. Think of the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles who got my eye color wrong and the date of my uh, expiration date of my license wrong. In fact, they got everything wrong on the thing except the little star that they put up there for a real ID. I tell you what, Gates had previously backed a major project at Harvard, of course at Harvard, using balloons to deploy aerosols. Aerosols. I'm telling you, these people, I swear, I just want them to go to Epstein Island, have their fun, and leave us alone. All right, we got to get out of here. Got to get out of here. We're going to, ay, 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 what? What what fresh hell are they going to be foisting on us tomorrow? Well, only the shadow knows. You come back tomorrow, we'll tell you. Actually, we'll be talking to Sarah Higdon about the Gays Against Groomers fighting back and Jamie Michelle's great speech to Liber- Moms for Liberty. Uh, we'll be talking to Sarah Higdon three, 3 o'clock hour tomorrow. They are fighting back, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing because it's a sick, sick movement. You heard... Peter Schweitzer talking about how the Chicoms are behind a lot of it, destabilizing our country, destroying our youth. Have a great evening, everybody. Remember, meeting of the STDs at Rosa Parks.
at five, <laughs> and a meeting of the utilities at six at the regional at the library downtown. Bye bye, y'all. Go Cajuns. Bye bye.